So Maisie, what's your favorite Bowie song from the 80s? Um, loving the Alien. Loving the Alien. Okay, well, Daddy will make sure to put it on the list, okay? Okay. Sound good? Okay. Welcome back to another episode of Fantastic Voyage, the David Bowie podcast. I'm your host, Jesse. And I'm Jesse's co-host, John. Today, we are wrapping up another season. Uh, The fifth such season, I believe, the 80s season. David Bowie in the 80s. Now, I know we haven't covered Tin Machine 1 yet, but we kind of thought that that should be the start of a own little season maybe just a tin machine mini season which will follow this mm-hmm. um but we did include scary monsters in this which i was really on the fence whether that should just kind of end the berlin slash lodger slash whatever era or start the 80s but well the 80s needed a bit of a pick-me-up didn't yeah it? yeah yeah <laughs> so, so scary monsters is gonna be a part of this little wrap-up episode as well as, I guess, all the other non-album tracks and, and ventures that Bowie went on in the 80s. There's a lot of them on this, uh, or to cover. But I will say, like, Scary Monsters obviously has the stacked side A, but, you know, as we dove deeper and deeper into this decade, I don't think I'd pick any of the side two songs to be on our compilation here, because I think there's such great individual songs and in all his other ventures, whether it be Labyrinth, whether it be tonight or never let me down or even some of the individual singles you were alluding to like probably like absolute beginners and stuff yeah. like that there, there's enough stuff there where i think it's all better than the material on side two of scary monsters not to put that stuff down but just there's such high quality little yeah. bits and pieces of bowie in the 80s and not only that but we can't just make this best of the 80s playlist scary monsters <laughs> and leave everything else yeah. off like i i think we want to represent it uh you know diversely and interestingly enough when we were talking earlier but we were wondering how we should format this playlist i guess what we always do is we have 14 songs except when we did the best of the spiders from mars era we made it 20 songs yeah which is interesting because you made a really good point you were kind of saying that you feel worse leaving some of the tracks from the 1972-ish period off because they were all such distinct different individual songs and stories where some of the stuff on Berlin, maybe for example, just to use another period, that stuff kind of was more of a, the the sum of all parts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like you, it it still hurt leaving. Like, did we leave subterraneans off of the Berlin? I don't think I would have left that. We left off Warzawa. We left off. Yeah. So so case in point, (laughs) but okay. So we leave, I I know we left speed of life off too. And, uh, that sucks. Like it's one of those things where it sucks, but Okay, are you going to leave off Moon Age Daydream? Well, we, yeah, we were running through the stuff that we did for the Best of the Spiders. The only song I think we both agreed that we could do without is All the Young Dudes. The, the, the rest of that was Ziggy, Suffragette City, Aladdin Sane, After All, Moon Age Daydream, Life on Mars, Quicksand, Sorrow, Pretty Things, Five Years, Mad Men, Time, Cracked Actor, Buley Brothers, With the Circle Live, kind of captures the great live performance yeah. as well. Man Who Sold the World, Grinning Soul, Gene Genie, Suicide. I mean... How do you take that? How, what, yeah. do you, what gets removed there? Because every song has such a distinct identity to it. Whereas maybe some of the stuff on Low, 
I don't want to call it redundant, but there's not a... Some of these songs in the Ziggy period, they're more like individual portraits or like chapters of a book. And yeah. interestingly enough, too, I was thinking, I was talking about this in one of my uh, music chats or my, the one music chat that I'm in recently where I think this album by Danny Brown called Triple X is his best album as opposed to his more experimental album, Atrocity Exhibition. That's the one everyone calls better because it's a little bit more out there. Are they relate? There's a movie, Atrocity Exhibition, an old also, noir movie, I think. Well, maybe, well, I know he got the title from... A book? Joy Division. It's the first song on their album, Closer. Okay. Um, but they probably got that from whatever you're talking about. And that was based on a novel, I believe, too. But anyway. But uh, point being, you know, sometimes earlier songs in someone's career can get overlooked for something a little bit later where they get a little bit more experimental. But it's like, I think just when you operate on the premise that because it's more experimental means it's better, it kind of rubs me the wrong way. It's a little pretentious for the sake of it. Like, yeah. And, and that, that Ziggy period just had so many like, the, like distinct identities to songs. Like after all has such a distinct thing to it. Life on Mars is its own thing. Mad Men. Like they're all, you know, there's a lot more, it's a little bit more diverse, I right. guess, uh, thematically. And for that reason, it was really hard for us to narrow it down. Even the 20 was hard to narrow down because how many great songs did we leave off of that? Well, Soul Love for me is a huge one. Uh, Starman isn't on it, I don't think. Yeah, Starman's <laughs> not on know. it. So, yeah. So. We, we digress. Let's let's get back to the 80s. And yeah, we're, I guess we're going to be kind of all over the map if we're, kind of thinking we're not going to put a ton from Scary Monsters on. I mean, I could I, there's going to be a few shoe-ins. 14 songs, right? So mm -hmm. seven picks each. We're going to do like draft style again. We could do that. Although, okay, who's going to be the well, one stuck picking Modern <laughs> Love which has to Are there well, any that we think has well, to make shoe and obviously Ashes to Ashes. Right. When we do a, a, a end of the all of this list, that's going to be in the top 10. You know, it's Ashes to Ashes. Yeah. Modern Love, sure. Um, after that, Shuin's actually maybe do get a little bit thin. I mean, there's songs that I really like off of Scary Monsters, obviously, that, you know, everybody's thinking, well, fashion and up the hill backwards. But I think at that point, it's not as cut and dry as it is probably for Modern Love right. and Ashes to Ashes. So let's, let's just get those two out of the way. So let's say I picked Modern Love and you picked Ashes to Ashes. It kind of is what we, happened, yeah. We, that, that's the Shuin each that we picked. Okay. Um, all right, so... We have another six picks each. Okay, here we go. Choose them wisely. Yeah. <laughs> um, we'll save some of the, maybe not honorable mentions, but some of the, the non-album tracks for the the second half of this episode. So we're, mm -hmm. yeah, we're, this is the, uh, you're going to see how the sausage is made, uh, as they say. <laughs> we're going to make the playlist, what we think is the best of the David Bowie 80s. And then we'll, yeah, we, we put some polls up on Twitter, some interesting results. Uh, Labyrinth beating Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Yeah, we'll talk about that a bit later. And uh, yeah, some other stuff, I guess, too. Uh, all right. I guess I'm up. I'll make the, I'll make the pick. Advantage you, I guess. You want I get the last pick. You get the last pick, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess I'll keep it simple. Uh, Scary Monsters and Super Creeps, the title track mm. uh, that... To me, that's almost a shoe in too. See, that's it's interesting that you mentioned that because I kind of right before I left, I made a playlist of twenty songs that I think are worthy, kind of. Okay. It was on there, but it was at like the bottom of the list for me. Interesting. Kind of. I was okay. thinking like some of these, 
other songs off other albums I would probably rather choose over Scary Monsters. So hmm. now I might have to make a sacrifice and take right. and not pick something off Scary Monsters. But I mean, I don't really have any major quarrels with that being included on this list because it's maybe my 18th favorite song of the decade. You know, so what, <laughs> yeah. whatever. <laughs> That's interesting. It's like I felt like I was picking like you know Mike Trout. And it, maybe not. Maybe I picked them too early. Well, <laughs> type of thing. For yeah, baseball fans out there. And will, I think it only goes one. to to show how secretly strong of a decade this kind of is. It is. Yeah. It totally. I is. Because he is very busy. I mean, maybe not his most musically dense decade, but it's still one of his busiest. Like I find myself more than ever when we're talking about his career, kind of losing track of what came before what because there's a lot more movies and stuff. Yeah. So, okay, maybe The Labyrinth came out in 86, but was that actually before Live Aid? Uh, was it shot before? Or did it come up? Was right. it shot after? Uh, I find myself running into questions well, a lot more than I ever did. Yeah, when we were trying to determine the um, just the episode list uh, order, run order, uh, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence and The Hunger both debuted at Cannes. Mm-hmm. in i guess that would have been 83 right uh yeah uh anyway i i couldn't find i did a lot of digging and i couldn't figure out which one he filmed first i i looked through at you know all the the typical places online and in the books i've got at home and i couldn't find which one was filmed first like mm-hmm. okay well i think one of them debuted on I, I think i ended up going with whatever one was filmed or was released first yeah uh thea- or not theatrically but maybe on DV or VHS or whatever. But I actually, I remember also looking to see which one debut, like was screened at Cannes first mm-hmm. and it was The Hunger. So, <laughs> so if it like screened on a Thursday and the other one screened on a Friday, I was like, well, that one technically debuted mm-hmm. first, premiered first. Anyway, your pick. Well, I'm going to go with, well, the reason I want to get this one out of the way um, is because it's a little bit of gray area maybe. Is this an 80s song? It came out in 1980. It was recorded before most of Scary Monsters, but didn't wind up on the album. Do you know where I'm going with this? Uh, You're going with something from Ball? No, I'm going with uh, Crystal Japan. Oh, Crystal Japan. Okay, yeah. It was recorded in 79. Oh, yeah, Ball is after. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, So it counts, I think, right? It it wasn't really ever in consideration for the Berlin period. Probably because there's maybe a little bit of a higher quality instrumental selection to pick from uh but i i shouldn't say that because i think crystal japan's actually on par with most of those it's just maybe it wouldn't be the best song out of the berlin instrumentals but it's on par with like it is yeah. the other you know the the ones that maybe aren't your absolute favorites um i i absolutely love crystal japan i think it's got a great music video i think it does a, a really good job of kind of capturing it's kind of got some scary experimental like warped moments where it goes yeah that's the best part yeah but then that's kind of i uh, love that yeah that's put up against some like ethereal beautiful lush synth waves and it's just kind of this equal parts beauty almost a little bit scary almost kind of reminiscent of the walker brothers song the electrician although that one's probably a little bit more on the scarier side but they were, you know, Scott Walker and Bowie were both influencing each other in this period. They're two great artists. I love both of them. And this song just kind of reminds me of their little kind of competition that was going on. But yeah, this this is a really, really interesting instrumental to me. I think uh, instrumentals can be tricky because without words, without a story, you can kind of maybe get bored of a song. But this song's got enough going in yeah. it where I, I never get bored. I actually wish it was longer. So that's my first pick. Well, and one of my favorite uh, Berlin, definitely Berlin period uh 
instrumentals is Weeping Wall. And I like it for the same. I like Crystal Japan because they kind of remind me uh, of each other. Just, yeah, something really kind of droning happening. But then beautiful like marimbas on yeah. Weeping Wall. It's that that sense of uneasiness, but also pleasantry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for, yeah, I mean. It's mysterious. Yeah. It's, oh, it's so good. Yeah, good pick. I wasn't even thinking that. Uh, and for those of you that might be thinking, ah, that's Rick 79. Well, I, you know what? I had a Scary Monsters reissue that had that tacked on the yeah. end. So it's always kind of been a Scary Monsters. Yeah, well, it was going to be on the album yeah. instead of It's No Game Part 2. And there was a point in time, and I think we mentioned this on the episode, I kind of had a revelation where I preferred it's no game part two being on the album despite me liking crystal japan more but it was it was supposed to close the album and then eventually he chose it's no game part two instead which i think we kind of concluded brought the album closer from a cohesive standpoint so it made more sense to be on scary monsters crystal japan kind of does make more sense to be its own little thing it's kind of a one-off and and that's another reason why i like picking it for this playlist because there's really nothing else of that palette to pick from that was kind of the end of his uh venture into that sound so to speak so this is kind of the last you're really going to hear of that and it's it's a really good song so i'm glad that uh it gets some representation here yeah all right um well i'm going to go a bit earlier in the 80s too and i'm going to pick remembering marie a nice uh i didn't have to that that would have been one of mine too so i like when that happens yeah damn okay uh (laughs) it's uh i think it's the highlight of ball and i'd put the whole freaking ball ep on this if i could uh but i'm picking my favorite and that's it yeah remembering marie a is my favorite song off of ball and what's that uh there's a, the one part of the song that i really really like and yet i know what you are trying to say with what her face was like i know no longer i only know I kissed it on that day As for the kiss, I'd long ago forgot it But for the cloud that floated in the sky I know that still and shall forever know it It was quite white and moved in very high It may be that the plum tree... It's a a great little, uh, kind of like a, a... There's probably a chord change there or something. It's uh, what I really like about this song in particular is how, okay, this, these are all like old timey kind of songs. This is maybe a little too time stamped for a lot of people to appreciate this type of stuff. I can see a lot of more casual Bowie observers being like, ah, I don't really like this. This is too old. So like, this is like traditional music almost. But well, it's like we talked about it being like Dylan going from Blonde on Blonde to John Wesley right, Hardy. Yeah. It's like, whoa. But it's like, hey, that's experimental. And like it's, he's, well, yeah, it's, he's going from the, yeah, anyway. And But one thing I will say, though, about this song and a lot of the stuff on, on the Ball EP, but this song in particular is, despite it being a very traditional lyric, a very traditional sounding, a lot of traditional sounding instruments, there's still a buildup and there's a lot of density to this. Like this is not like a thin, cheap, old time kind of sounding song. This is actually a song that moves and flows like a modern song or a modern song for the 80s standards, but with more traditional sensibilities. And I think, yeah, that's another experimental thing in itself. So who's to say this wasn't a more experimental uh, album of his than some of the other ones of this period. Um, A huge fan of remembering Marie A and a, I'm, I'm glad you picked it because it actually might have been my next pick. All right. <laughs> now I have to pivot. <laughs> a 
What am I going to pick? This is where it gets tricky. Um, it, it, you know what? This is harder than I thought it was going to be. To to sum up Bowie's 80s and 14 songs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. How much... How, how much scary monsters can actually make it? I kind of thought the whole first side might, but it might not now. I'll go with another song. This kind of, it's, it goes hand in hand a little bit with the last pick, and I'll just get it out of the way. I'll pick Absolute Beginners. Okay. Because that's another song that takes old school sensibilities. It's a 50s doo-wop song. Yeah. Wah, 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 ooh. And, you know, kind of 50, you know, it's an innocent enough lyric, a beautiful lyric. Um, but then... It's got the 80s production on it. It's got the, all the 80s synth type stuff. And, you know, Bowie was kind of maybe struggling with how to incorporate the new technology into his songwriting at this period. But I think this is one of the examples where he actually hits it out of the, out of the park. Like, you know, the, some of the more new romantic groups maybe had a better idea as to how to utilize the production because it was all they knew. They grew up in this period. Right, yeah. And Bowie, it was a little bit more awkward. An old, an old dog being taught a new trick. And a lot of those artists, it wasn't just Bowie, right? It was everybody from this period, you know. Yeah. McCartney, Dylan, they all were kind of struggling. But this one, I mean, Bowie knocks it out of the park. This is a beautiful, beautiful song. Yeah. Um, pretty good film. It's. I really like the spirit of it. Have you seen it? I haven't seen the film. It's, I've just seen like the music video. Okay, yeah. Which I think has scenes from the uh, film. Yeah, kind of. It's The film is... So it's kind of about the culture shift in late 50s London. Basically, jazz ter- transitioning into rock and roll is you know in the mainstream and mm-hmm. the kids and stuff like that. Uh, it also touches on uh, the Notting Hill race riots, which was basically a civil rights movement going on in in London. And um, I think it's one of those things where like it's on paper, this should be like an absolutely great movie. I don't know if it was just the actors or what weren't too convincing or something. I don't know. I, I I thought it was just okay. And Bowie's uh, role in it is very limited. He performs that's motivation, which steals the the riff from absolute beginners. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like a surf Rocky sounding one. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you definitely check out Bowie's, uh, you know, scene from it if, if you can. I'm sure it's on YouTube. And he, he also does a song, Volare. It's like this little kind of bossa nova sounding song. And it's just, it's absolutely great. Now, Volare is not going to make the the playlist, but I I thought about including it. Like, I thought about making it the last pick. But, I you know, maybe that's like the Tumble and Twirl Award for the 80s singles or non-album yeah. tracks uh really really cool uh little song little cover and uh one more thing i want to touch on that is ray davies has a scene in absolute beginners and it, it's absolutely must see film you got a, a great song there, there's another cameo too i remember reading that it was ray davies and there's someone else too who uh, makes a cameo. i can't i, I can't remember yeah, I haven't seen. It, so I, I kind of it, it was one of those movies where like halfway through you start checking your phone a little bit too much. And you're, you know, you're kind of like, eh. I, I I watched it with the purpose of going, should we cover this in a standalone episode? Uh, and like, by the ninth time you checked your phone, it was decided that, that we wouldn't. Yeah, and I didn't do the same. I I've seen little bits of Bowie as Pontius Pilate in uh, the Last Temptation, and same thing. I thought this is just too small of a of a role for for Bowie. Another one is the Prestige, where he has a small role. He plays Nikola Tesla, but that's that's much later. I don't think we'll cover that one either. 
I'm just dying to do another film episode. They're, those are the most fun. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think there's only one more that'll be coming oh, no. up soon, and it's the Linguini incident. <laughs> I, I think we have to cover it. Anyway, uh, yeah, good pick. Um, when you, and you mentioned there's the Notting Hill race riots. Were yeah. part of the, that's in the music video, and it kind of comes near the end. And, and I was thinking about this because I, I was trying to figure out, other than, okay, because it's good as my answer, why is this eight-minute song so good why does it never get boring mm-hmm. and i think there's actually there's a lot of kind of moving parts there's an intensity to the song near the end when the sax kicks in there's a different drum beat it's a little bit more of like an eastern kind of sounding drum pattern and that's the moment in the video where the scenes of the Notting hill riots kind of come in okay and so it was just the song's got a, it never loses it's a slow song 50s doo-wop you know, kind of sappy. I'm going, why does it not never get boring? And I think that's kind of why. It's got an intensity to it in, in some of its changing parts. Well, and the, the chorus, his voice just explodes into this, like, he sounds like an opera singer. It's so strong. When sometimes his, like, songwriting in this period, it can kind of get a little clumsy, like when he was fishing for something to be mad about. Like, <laughs> I think we both agreed a day in, day out, it's a pretty good song, right? But from a lyrical standpoint, like stuff like she's got no money, honey is, is it's not up to like absolute beginners is I've nothing much to offer. There's nothing much to take. I'm an absolute beginner and I'm absolutely sane. As long as we're together, the rest can go to hell. I absolutely love you, but we're absolute beginners with eyes completely open, but nervous all the same. To me, this is just a much more captivating kind of list of lines, right? As opposed to maybe some of his stuff on never let me down. So I think he's a little bit more in his, natural pocket when he's doing this type of a song yeah and it shows another one last thing i maybe would like to add is that apparently uh you've probably seen the story on this song where these uh, studio musicians were told go into the studio you're going to be meeting with a mr x they called it It was like a mysterious guy and it wound up being bowie oh no i didn't know that unbeknownst to them they were recording a track with bowie well he came into the studio with this song half done would this have been like would kevin armstrong have been in that we didn't talk about kevin armstrong who was a pretty big collaborator with bowie during this period he played live it might have been him because it's around the same period i don't even yeah but uh so they kind of completed the song for him. There were like a little bit of incomplete pieces, I think, uh, from a music standpoint that they kind of finished for him and didn't get credit. And we were talking about, we, I think we've mentioned it a few times now, where John Lennon gets a songwriting credit on fame for contributing like a couple words, where these people actually kind of wrote the song with <laughs> right. him and didn't get a credit. Because so Bowie Lennon sells, Yeah, right? I think that gives credence to our little theory that he wanted to have his Bowie Lennon up there. If it, Bowie Armstrong doesn't quite mean as much to him, if he, that, that Armstrong right. guy was, in fact, a part of this. So I looked it up. Yeah, uh, Kevin Armstrong was a part of it. So was Rick Wakeman. Right, he does the, uh, the, well, the, the keys, piano. obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Matthew. And no wonder this is such a Seldman, great eight-minute song. Neil Conti. Got Rick Wakeman on it too. Is this the first time him and Wakeman have worked together since Hunky Dory? I it must be. Guess so. I yeah. I don't remember ever hearing him. And is this also the last time they worked together? Possibly. I don't know. Like, that's a that's a pretty significant reunion. I'm glad we looked that up last like <laughs> last possible second. Well, if, they, if we were doing an album episode, we would have spent 20 minutes talking about this. Song, right. Right. Yeah. So. This is kind of our first time actually properly discussing it. But yeah, this was pretty much another shoe-in, I would say. There's actually maybe one more. Well, maybe I'll get to it. I feel like it's this one, uh, As the World Falls yeah, Down. Yes, yeah. a very similar song. Yeah, um, has to make it. It's, yeah. the, it's the highlight of Labyrinth in both the 
the music. It's the best song from the soundtrack. It's the best scene in the movie, I think, uh, where uh, Sarah, you know, realizes that, oh my goodness, the grown-up land is horrifying, taking me back to the happy land mm-hmm. <laughs> world. <laughs> uh, we, we talked about this at length in the uh, Labyrinth episode. It's just one of his best songs, I think. I, I think this is going to make, is going to be high up on the list when it comes to, when we do our, you know, podcast and what are we gonna do the top 100 songs or whatever it's it's gonna be in there that's for sure yeah this is another one that's just so so beautiful right i mean and and also it, almost similar to crystal japan in the sense that it's beautiful but it's almost got like this sinister undertone to it it's just the way that the the verses are it's like you're at sea like it's a wavy day at yeah. sea and you're up and down and it's kind of like this looming is a little i mean it kind of makes sense given the scene that it takes place in yeah he's attempting to seduce her but deep down it's bit of it's kind of sinister even though it's a very beautiful romantic thing it's kind of a sinister thing simultaneously so i think that's what kind of elevates this song and makes it more than just your typical beautiful you know sappy love song because there's a song like this runs the chance of being a kind of a a shitty sappy song with the 80s production and all that but it's got, it's got the it, recipe for disaster it's, it's, kind of. it's too yeah. too strong of a song so it overcomes all of those yeah the sort of things that it has working against it and yeah this is definitely the best song on labyrinth i don't even know if there's really another one on labyrinth that i would want to pick to be honest with you no that's um, probably it i don't like magic like maybe you, you would pick it but i i guess not really? um that might be the last labyrinth song but we'll use the magic dance outro in this episode because we only got to use it once so there I know, that's it I know people like Underground a lot but that song doesn't do anything for me really no you know what the opening title Underground mashup in mm-hmm. the, is, is better to me almost <laughs> but the only thing is it, it is missing some parts of Underground that I like but it's it's shorter it's kind of hits home and I, I like the, the score uh, to Labyrinth so it kind of incorporates that more um, I mean nowhere near it's, if you know, half of Scary Monsters isn't going to make this list, or three quarters. There's no way mm-hmm. anything else from Labyrinth is going to make it. Is I guess is what I'm getting to uh, in a roundabout way. It's kind of a shame. I think it just speaks more to how strong of a decade this is, because I actually I still think Labyrinth has some good songs, but even yeah. even the pe- like the people who enjoy Labyrinth, I still don't think they even talk about the songs as being much other than this thing that exists, like kind of off to the side in Bowie's yeah. musical canon. I think that's kind of unfair to the movie because. He wasn't necessarily working within the confines of like, hey, just make these songs for the movie because who was the, was it uh, Jim Henson? Jim Henson, yeah. He kind of told Bowie like, yeah, I want some songs obviously, but so he had to do that for him. But other than that, like that was his only instruction. It wasn't like make them in this way, make them for the movie. Like he just actually was writing songs. So to me that isn't, it's not fair to them to kind of be associated with just, oh, it's just movie soundtrack stuff. Because the, the songs are, I mean, outside of maybe like Within You and Chili Down, I think the rest of the songs exist perfectly fine on their own. Yeah. as just individual songs that actually have nothing to do with the movie. I think... You can separate, because they do have things to do with the movie, but you can easily divorce the two right. from each other, and they can they can be totally fine on their own. I think we, when we were talking about Labyrinth, we determined that it's not... The cult status isn't because of Bowie. It's it's more of a cult movie because of '80s VHS <laughs> rentals. You know, you know, like yeah, yeah it, it's yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing how popular it is. I, I yeah. 
I know a lot of people where that's all they know about David Bowie. Yeah, they know that that's he did really, Labyrinth. I mean, that's that's cool. Uh, it's cool that you can be that established outside of something like this and then <laughs> still be like, oh, I was also a part of this thing, which people love. And it's, it's a cool. lot. A lot yeah. of people our age, like the millennial generation that grew up on VHSs. Yeah. People kind of think we're or, not, Gen, or Gen X even cause, cause, yeah. more so than us. I well, I'm definitely in that. You're like the tail end of millennial age. Mm-hmm. You're born in '95. Yeah, I feel like that is the cutoff. It, they it like is. You're kind of on the. You could, you know, depending on what what the subject is, you could you could jump in either camp. Because maybe. I kind of still had experience. Like when by the time I got to high school, there was a smartphone takeover. Right. But I still grew up on like VHSs and cassette tapes and stuff right. like that. Right? I feel like being the younger brother too. Like you were the, you are you know, you were, you had an older brother that had all that stuff. Yeah. So I had all the Disney movies on VHS. So you grew up with it yeah. as where if you would have been the first, your younger sibling may not mm-hmm. have had that same type of, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Like people, my, my age is probably the cutoff for people that grew up watching Labyrinth on VHS because no one's doing that now. No. Yeah. But people my age, I <laughs> but think we, it, we grew up on Love You Till Tuesday on VHS, though. That's the one we had. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah actually, I didn't grow up with Labyrinth. I did grow up with Love, Love you, you Till Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. We knew when I'm five. <laughs> like, I remember one time dad was listening to me play Magic Dance for Maisie, my daughter. And he's like, what's this? And I'm like, <laughs> you, you know when I'm five, but you don't know Magic Dance. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah, great. Okay. We've got. We're at halfway. We're halfway. Yeah. So strong. What are we at so far? Modern Love, Ashes to Ashes, Scary Monsters, Crystal, Crystal Japan, Remembering Marie, A, Absolute Beginners, As the World Falls Down. That's all killer. Yeah. Wow. Um, I guess, okay, because we're, you know, halfway now, I maybe want to steer the ship back to maybe some of the more safer picks. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't want to forget them and then waste my last pick on, like, well, I have to pick this one. Right. I want to maybe make that a little bit more suspenseful. So I'll go with Outside of Ashes to Ashes, my favorite song on Scary Monsters, which is It's Snow Game Part guess. 1. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of my all-time favorite David Bowie moments is just him screaming, belting the last line of the... I want to play it if we can. No more free steps to heaven. That's my favorite, absolute, just favorite moment on the album. Um, it's kind of you know it's funny because there's some there's some parts of Bowie songs they just really stick in your brain. Like I think the chorus to Ashes to Ashes is one of those things. Like Ashes to Ashes, Funk to Funky, we know Major Tom's a junkie. That's like it just kind of jumps off the page at you. Yeah. I think Bowie was great at creating little one-off moments in a song that jumped off on the page like that. I think uh, the yeah, the first verse to this song is another one of those instances. And this is, uh, once again, it kind of brings another another palette, so to speak, to, to this playlist. Like, this is a kind of a more heavier, yeah, raunchier oh, totally. type of a thing. This song sticks out to me the most from this album because it was on that. We talked about it, I think, on our Scary Monsters episode. But our dad had a tape, like a mixtape. And he just played the ending, the end with the <laughs> shut up on it, and I was like, "Oh, what's this?" And he just always said, "Oh, it's a Bowie thing." And yeah, it's when you hear that as a little kid, well, <laughs> like, the, the, it draws you in a little bit. <laughs> when it was, 
That, that that's another actually moment within that song that just sticks out yeah, to you, oh, right? Like, so much. St- why is he yelling "Shut up!" at his guitar player? And yeah. It's just, uh, and that that was a beautiful thing back in the day too. You had a cassette tape, you know, forty five minutes on each side. It actually usually worked out to be like forty six minutes and a half. They gave you more time than was actually advertised. You knew you nice. had another thirty seconds but, to fill. You spent your hard hard earned money on that tape. You got every last second out of it. You'd put little stupid twenty second, you know songs or clips at the end of a tape like maggie may was probably it's, i hope somebody listening to this used maggie may by the beatles you know 30 second song you had to fill the tape you had to end the side with something like that but yeah our dad used the end of it's no game and it was interesting how that was worked into the glass spider tour it's so it started the glass spider tour the shut up right yeah <laughs> that's so good <laughs> And, you know, it's kind of funny, too, because I had mentioned that uh, on the tour episode that that tour to me was almost like proto-outside. Oh, Because yeah. like, it had these interludes that kind of portrayed a grotesque society. But what's funny about that is that it, it also kind of highlights what was kind of wrong with the, the pre-grunge 80s period, which was like, unlike grunge, like the point that they were trying to make didn't have like an edge to it. Well, like they they, they kind of had a similar idea, but there was no edge. Like they come off as way too. It's like painfully playful. Like that. It's such a serious message, but they're going. You're made of the wrong stuff. Wrong it, stuff. Wrong stuff. Yeah, it, it feels like gr- grunge comes from like you find your you know you put your grandma's old sweat like ratty sweater on. You find an old you know distortion pedal and you're the closet and plug it into this old shitty amp and turn it up in your garage. Right. This is like his multiple sets for his world tour cost $30 million. And you're going to, it just doesn't have that same like, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's more DIY. Yeah. This is the, this was the most expensive costume yeah. stage setup in the history of ever. Like, so no matter how much like a Mad Max character, Carlos Alomar <laughs> looks like it still has a bit of a bit too much gloss on it. Yeah. Oh, and, I'm, just and, gonna, I'm just going to fly in my buddy Peter Frampton to come and play. I, I, I think Never Let Me Down in general maybe suffers from that. Like, even think of the album cover. Like, he's kind of trying to do something a little in your face, jumping up and down. He looks very <laughs> defiant. But it's like, but look at the set. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's all these things in the background. It's just, it's too, too fluffy for the statement he's trying to make. Yeah, it's a little bit too dress up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to panic. I've got six songs that I thought were going to be shoe-ins, and there's six songs left on the playlist. And unless we're on the exact same page, I mean, not shoe-ins, but ones that deserve I, to. Be I didn't write down sure. many, and they're I'm I'm panicking a little bit. Uh, I think I'm going to pick one that maybe isn't super suspenseful. Although it would be suspenseful if we only had a couple picks left and it wasn't going to make it to some maybe. Um, but I'm going to pick "Loving the Alien." Yeah, that's another shoe-in-ish type song. Yeah, yeah. Um, we talked about that for about a half an hour on the Tonight episode. Yeah. So, yeah, we we kind of have that one. We've got most of these covered already. But it's just, it's one of those songs where the more I listen to it, the more I like the lyric, too. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it, it's definitely more of a an outward lyric as opposed to looking inward which we talked about how that's kind of where some of our favorite artists lose us a little bit you know when when Lennon's talking about his mom leaving him and or his parents abandoning him and his mom dying and stuff it's a bit more it hits home more than him talking about being a working class hero there's a mm-hmm. nod to our next season 
you're not a working class hero. You never worked a damn day in your life. So <laughs> I don't need you to lead that, <laughs> that movement for me. Um, but I, you know, I just, I love the loving the alien lyric. It's definitely questioning religion. It's questioning to me, it questions how like, uh, you know, the, a King can for political reasons, change the Bible to suit, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not going to get overly, I'm not going to get into my uh, religious beliefs. So much of it is based on history, but but if someone's manipulating the history, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, I'm just going to leave it there. But yeah, I I definitely (laughs) love the the questioning uh, of of it all that he has. And, and, you know, it's, I like this for the same reason that I love word on a wing too. It's like, well, because it's not just like anti-religious it's for not. the sake. Of, it's, 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 it's just a, questioning. It's taking yeah. on way more than that to right. just be summed up as this. If you're into Jesus, you're stupid. That is nowhere near the no. point of, of the song. And it's writing. and it, religion is the most fascinating thing in this on this planet. Whether you, no matter what side of it you're on, it's 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 just you know our culture is. And yeah, you, you look at the album too. There's nothing really else on the entire Tonight album that's attempting to be as significant of a song, or as a song, as Loving the Alien. Right. Like, this is obviously, like, you know, there's... Bowie has these songs like Heroes and, you know, like Sound and Vision, like Life on... Like, he has these very serious songs that are attempt... Maybe not Sound and Vision, but maybe the other two. And, you know, there's several others that I'm forgetting at the top of my head, but songs that are kind of like... They're very high in aspiration, yeah, and when someone like David Bowie's, you know, putting this much effort into a song, no matter what decade it is, no matter what album it is, I no mean, that's how kind of the, the production prob- is kind yeah. of the problem with the album tonight is there's not enough of you know this on it. So yeah, this this was a pretty easy pick. I mean, if you're gonna pick one from tonight, this is easily the best song I would say. Yeah. All right. I guess that leaves me. I've got two picks left. Ugh. And I have three. Yeah, we haven't even touched on... We haven't done Never Let Me Down. We haven't done anything other than Modern Love from... Uh... Yeah. But I think I, this was almost by design. We kind of got the one-offs out of the way. Absolute Beginners, Crystal Japan, and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, what am I going to... Oh, this is... God, I only have three picks. I really have to use these wisely. We've only got three from Scary Monsters. There's one more that I have circled. I'm gonna to try to do this strategically because there's two songs I'm hoping you will pick. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave them for you because I know you like these. But then I oh my god, this is tricky. Well, you know I'm I'm not gonna overthink this. I'm just gonna keep going kind of from top to bottom. Um, I've got three picks, so I'll I'll get this. I'm gonna highlight on my phone here because I wrote it down the one I think you're gonna pick and see if I can cross it off. Well, I kind of initially, my, my idea was to only have four songs on Scary Monsters and to leave Scary Monsters, the song, off. Okay. Then uh, I. Oh my might... god, wait a minute. There's there's two left on that <laughs> side. They, they kind of have to make it, don't they? Yeah, this is getting tricky. Well, I'm just picking because I love the guitar in this one and I love everything. I'm picking Fashion. Okay. Fashion's gotta make this. It's it's it absolutely has to. That wasn't on my list, so we, oh. we each picked one on Scary Monsters. We the other wouldn't have picked. Fashion is just uh, I don't know. Oh, I like it. I, it's, I, yeah, I really like the song, but yeah. It, to me, it's like almost it, it's it's obvious like that it should be on here. Am I crazy for thinking that? I don't know. <laughs> like, I just it's, I, well, I thought the same about the title track. So yeah, it, I mean, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Um. 
I, I don't even want to talk about fashion. I'm getting too nervous about the, the last four songs. We've got four <laughs> songs here. Um, Every, everybody listening to this knows about fashion. Great guitar tone. Um, he's talking about how people... It, it's The one downside maybe to the song Fashion, why it's not his greatest song of all time, is because he's talking about people blindly following a movement, and he's kind of... He talks about that a lot in his career. Yeah. People, I mean, I guess it's an important thing to highlight, but it kind of gets a little maybe exhausting. I mean, not enough for it to ruin a song like Fashion, but that, there's a reason why I picked a 10th overall and not first overall. I'm going to be a little bit strategic here with my next pick, but it's a toss-up between what my favorite song on Never Let Me Down is, and I'm going to pick the one that I don't think you would pick because I've only got two picks left, so I have to mm-hmm. do it. Uh, I'm going to pick Zeroes. I knew, yeah, that was on my list, but I knew you would pick it. Okay. So I didn't pick it. Well, I know you're going to pick the other one that I'm going to... You must. But, yeah, Zeros makes it. Zeros, uh, a.k.a. Um, uh, Starman Part 2, <laughs> if you listen to that yeah. episode. <laughs> it's... I, I absolutely love that song. Uh, I'm not going to talk about it more. We just talked about it in our, in our last episode. It's great. Great tune. Uh, there's been times where I've thought, is this is this his best song of the '80s? And then I kind of remember, you know, maybe the ten that are above this or or, <laughs> or whatever. But it's it's definitely well, it's it's top fourteen for us, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, it, it sounds like a song um, that would maybe come out in the '60s, which yeah, is yeah. And that's, you know, yeah. Uh, the 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 vocal inflections on the chorus sounds like something from the '60s. There's the sitar, you know. It's it's not really an 80s sounding song which is kind of interesting i'll go ahead and just pick time will crawl yeah that was the other one you know let's let's not get silly here we're, we're running we're running out of time yeah we only, only got one more pick and i was there's a lot of songs i want to pick so zeros and time will crawl to me are easily uh, maybe not yeah they're the cream of the crop on that album uh the rest of it is not shit as i think it's maybe often perceived if you ask us anyway. Um, but if, if that's going to be the representation from that album, I think we did it. I, I think we picked yeah. the best two. Yeah. You know, okay, I've got one pick to go. And I don't think I'm going to be able to squeeze. I, I thought about Never Let Me Down, the song. And I don't think I'm going to pick that one. I thought about including Bang Bang live during the Glass Spider tour. I have a suspicion you might do that. But and I, I might, just, I don't know. See, but, now the reason I want to pick that is because this was the the era of Bowie on, the, like, takes on the world. He goes out and does the Serious Moonlight tour. He goes out and does the enormous Glass Spider tour. And to me, that's one where we both thought when we heard, when we saw that, it was like, oh, wow. Like, that's why mm-hmm. he covered this song, because he wanted to do this live. Yeah. And it just... It just it was meant smokes. for the stage. Yeah, it's yeah. it's great. Um, are we gonna do a best of Bowie live? Yeah, I think that would be worth it. Yeah. Eventually, maybe we'll do that once. Bowie live. Maybe that'll follow up like the reality tour episode. We'll do like, okay, he's not touring anymore. Let's right, let's wrap man. it up. So uh, maybe I can save that for. We've only got one song from Let's Dance on it, and there's one like enormous song that we haven't put on that I've I'm... and. I don't like any of the enormous songs more than Modern the deep one. cuts, yeah, and more than the songs that we've picked. Honestly, the, the I don't. Song. I, I, this isn't me just being contrary. Yeah. Like every song on here, I l- ex- yeah, even Scary Monsters, the song I like better. Than, oh yeah, even yeah, though I kind of like I had it, 
like I said, lower on my list, but it made my 20. So, but so, Let's Dance and China Girl didn't make my 20. Oh, China Girl's not even close for me. Uh, let's, I, I like the song Let's Dance, but I, I'm not going to pick it, so it's not going to make it. I, uh, I, you know what? I, I didn't want this to become the Scary Monsters show, but <laughs> I have to pick Up the Hill Backwards. It's just so different. Would be so backwards to not have it on this list. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I was maybe cheating, but I did figure that Zero is an Up the Hill Backwards. You weren't going to let them. I wasn't. No. It. And I, well, then you know me well. <laughs> it's just, you know what? We, you talked about, uh, which one was it where you said this should be on? Be- oh, was it Remembering Marie A? Just because it was so different? Where it should be... Anyway, we, this is an eclectic list. Yeah. And nothing on it sounds like Up the Hill Backwards. It's just such Wait. a different... It's like, it's, it sounds like a show tune. It's It almost sounds like a, like a game show's... Like Up the Hill Backwards could be a game show hosted by Bob Barker or something. and It's almost like a survivor up, challenge. That, yeah. <laughs> up the Hill Backwards. Um, and, you know, we, we talked in depth about the lyrics and where he kind of stole some of it from the literary influence. Um, really, really cool song in many ways. Yeah, that's my last pick. Okay, and it's, now it's it, up to you. It's a good sentiment for a song, too. Um, it's a live-in-the-present moment kind of a thing, right? What he was going through at the time. Kind of a, a new coming of age. Up the hill backwards. Yeah, you're, you're, you're entering not, your... You're, you're not looking upwards. You're not worrying about 40 years from now because there's so much that's out of your control in 40 years' time. There could be a recession. There could be a this. There could be a that. What do, what do you pl- like? There's too much uncertainty, so just kind of go about things day by day go up the hill looking backwards you know I, I i like the sentiment of the song a lot what i don't like is that i have a really big decision to make um you mean it's not just like dancing in the street <laughs> no. no so let's get we'll, this one we'll, we'll we'll talk about that later i guess yeah um, okay but not right now it was a number <laughs> it was a number one hit yeah well yeah <laughs> Okay, I got. There's a few contenders here. There's some album cuts that I like on "Never Let Me Down," like the song "Never Let Me Down." I like "Beat of Your Drum," but uh, I don't think they're they're worthy of this last slot. I, I do like "Blue Jean," but I don't care for the course. This is. I, I think I've got my mind made up. Oh, the Drowned Girl too. Fuck. The Drowned Girl there's, is really there's, good. There's, yeah. there's there's a lot of good stuff from this decade. This is kind of bugging me, but um. Are you going off the... Well, I'm going off... This will surprise you because we didn't give it its most glowing uh, accolades when we did the album, but it's it's since grown on me. Like, when we did this album, it's off of Let's Dance. Ever since, you know, we kind of forgot about that album, started doing other things, I've just had this stuck in my head. And I didn't really have the inclination to go back to it when we were doing the album, but ever since then, it's just been stuck in my head and I kind of really grew to appreciate the rhythm of it. Please tell me it's Shake It. No, oh, unfortunately shit. not. Because that song stayed the same for me. I know what Shake It is. But there is a song that album that I thought we were a little bit lower on than the consensus, and that's Ricochet. Okay. And that's going to be my last pick. Interesting. I, I think he sounds really good. I think his voice is great on it. I love the, you know, these are the prisons, these are the cry. I think he's got a good voice. I think it's a, it's a really different rhythm, and I think it took me a while to appreciate it. And... You know, I kind of would start to associate it more and more with, like, in my life with the Bush of the Bush of Ghosts, the Brian Eno, David Byrne album. You know, there's some kind of weird samples at the end, and I think it's it's one of his most interesting songs 
of this decade. One of his most interesting songs, maybe even ever. And I think also, too, just when we do these lists, we kind of like to have a diverse palette. Yeah. You know, a lot of different flavors. And I think this kind of ticks off a, a box that nothing else is able to accomplish. So I'm going with Ricochet. It's his, it's a weird song on a not weird album. It's a very David Bowie thing to do. It's a very David Bowie song to add to this list. And it's a David Bowie list. We've got to do it. So I'm going Ricochet. And if you don't like it, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> I knew you were going to mention that part because it's definitely the worst part of the song. It's almost like funny at this point. It is, yeah. Here, well, com- here comes the fucking stupid part. It's not the end of the world. We, and then it goes back into We the... can't say we like Shake It and then like bash this song for having that. Yeah, because yeah. Shake It is that for four minutes. I, I thought maybe if you were going way off, it was going to be Tumble and Twirl. I, I thought that could have oh, made yeah. it. That's, that's become my second favorite song on tonight. I mean, honestly, we wanted to do a playlist with Tumble and Twirl on it and The Drowned Girl and uh, Without You and Let's Dance. And It wouldn't uh, be as good. <laughs> Beat of Your Drum and Never Let Me Down and Blue Jean and Cat People, the soundtrack version. Okay. okay. There's but like that's, 10 that's songs early. I just rattled I think that's off. too early, though. Oh, but, is it? Okay. Yeah, but still, yeah. No, I get what you're... I uh, think so. I think that might be... Well, I, Crystal Japan made it. I thought that was the 80s. Um, let me I, see. I thought that came out shortly before Let's Dance did. I thought it was like 81, 82, but I could uh, be wrong. Oh, no. Yeah, I stand corrected. It is 82. Because that, that's worthy of being on a, on a yeah. list but there's just there's yeah. actually oh, too many good songs to choose from for some reason i thought that was yeah no recorded yeah july of 81 whiskey oh. song would be one that kind of came out more in the 80s but whiskey was bar like 78 or did i say whiskey whiskey bar yeah the alabama song whiskey bar yeah that's okay yeah I, for some reason you know what i think that here's the the issue we started this season so long ago it was last summer yeah yeah that like my chrono my chronology is kind of out of whack. Like I'm just assuming that all that stuff is so old because we talked about cat people like a long time ago. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Um, really, really good. Uh, yeah. I, I kind of forgot about that. I might have picked that over. No, I wouldn't have over the ones I picked. I don't think. Remembering Marie A. Scary Monsters, Modern Love. Yeah. Let's see. So my picks were well, Modern Love and Ashes to Ashes weren't really. No, picks, the, but I like that one and Jesse doesn't. He doesn't yeah. like Ashes to Ashes. No. It was my pick. <laughs> <laughs> Scary Monsters, Remembering Marie A, As the World Falls Down, Loving the Alien, Zeros, and Up the Hill Backwards. You picked Crystal Japan, Absolute Beginners, It's No Game, Fashion, Time Will Crawl, and Ricochet. Of those, the only one, I probably, I wasn't thinking Crystal Japan, but I really like that pick. I wasn't thinking Fashion, or Ricochet, but I mean, I I like the inclusion of both of those on it, so that's cool. I actually kind of like your picks, maybe even better. You were you were picking the ones that I was well, hoping you would. Well, I pick. did pick some <laughs> low lying fruit though, with like remembering Marie A, which like, I mean, to some of the listeners that might not be so obvious. I think I, I just I think love Drown Girls, kind of the big girl song on the. I think or I've, even I've Balls Him, maybe. maybe, maybe I don't know. I, I don't really know. Well, I think how Balls Him came out on like a twelve inch, but I think since then yeah you know bowie fans have had a lot of time to think about what you know the artist picks the single but then eventually the fans kind of take over because like life on mars wasn't even a single i don't think back it was re-released as a single i think remembering marie and drown girl have kind of taken over as like yeah that those are the best songs on ball yeah and i agree especially remembering marie so glad that made it i if you didn't pick it it was it was actually gonna be my next pick and And then you would have taken absolute beginners (laughs) (laughs) So some non-album songs that didn't make our list that 
I would imagine at least one of them would have made many people's lists. Uh, Under Pressure, which is a oh, right. huge, yeah. huge song. Um, you know what? Okay, I don't care for it as a, a relatively speaking, right. but I also don't hate that song. You know, it's it's good enough. It's 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 a good fun song, but it's it's not my type of thing. These yeah. You know, the stuff that we have listed here is just that I'm interested in that type of stuff more than a song like Under Pressure, but you could do worse than a a song that you have to be reminded of every week at work or whatever. You hear it all the time. You could do worse than Under Pressure. I'll I'll say that. I suppose, yeah. Um, So that one was recorded at Bowie's favorite place at the time, is in Monroe in Switzerland. I think Mountain Studios, I think I read it may have been owned by Queen. That might have been their studio. Uh, where Bowie recorded several things going forward. Um, and yeah, they kind of just, Bowie said, well, we got together and as usually what happens when musicians, when musicians get together, we wrote a song and that's kind of, you know, how it. No, no, Bo- Vanilla Ice wrote this song. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Bowie was going into the studio to record backing vocals on a Queen song called Cool Cat. So that's why he was at the studio. And oh, okay. I think like a demo version or something of that song with Bowie's vocals prominent does exist. We're not Queen fans. No, cool, um, like cool Cat to me just sounds like it would I'm not, be a shitty song on Tonight or something. Cool, <laughs> or Cool for Cat. Blue Jean, Cool Cat. There's a good Squeeze song, Cool for cool Cat. Cool for Cat. That's a, that's a fun song. And apparently there are three other songs credited to uh, Queen and David Bowie, like registered in the copyright world that are otherwise unknown but they there's three other songs out there that were apparently under i don't know if they have titles or what but so there may have been more they may have taken a few stabs at songs Mm -hmm. i heard that bowie and freddie did not like when it came to mixing they kind of clashed and there was it it wasn't smooth um i don't know i I'm not. <laughs> I'm not the person to talk about this song because I don't really care for it. Yeah, I've never cared to yeah. read about it or anything because I just I don't really care for Queen. Don't really care for the song. Yeah, it's so it doesn't make it. Uh, Dancing in the street. Now we are Stones fans, um, but this is not good. This it's not. I I oh god, Dancing in the street. Bowie and Mick. This is another. So Under Pressure went number one in the UK. Dancing in the street went number one in the UK. Uh, apparently this could have been one love. So at least we didn't get well, it that. It could have gone worse. It, yeah. That's well, yeah. Like, so, I mean, it kind of still is appropriation anyway, but if they were doing Bob Marley, it would be an even, you know, yeah. an, an even bigger step in that direction. So thank God we didn't get that, but we we're, uh, <laughs> we're supposed to be left with this. I mean, it's like, to me, like this kind of captures like all the worst sensibilities of both Bowie and Jagger. Like it's kind of, the parts that might annoy you of, yeah. of both those guys. They're over singing. They're trying, they're like dueling voices well, instead they, of singing together. They're, they're trying, you know, like I, Mick does that really like, I'm going to sing louder than you. Type yeah. Well, apparently that was happening in the studio. They're kind of trying to upstate. Well, especially yeah. I read Mick was trying to upstage Bowie. Yeah. But that checks out. Uh, I don't really have much of a history of this song other than it was, uh, it was my first experience playing a, a 12 inch at, 33 rpm that was supposed to be 45 rpm <laughs> because we our grandparents like on our mom's side had a record collection and my intro to this song it was it was one of the few records that was in their collection that even mildly piqued my interest they had like thriller you remember they had thriller <laughs> yeah, they yeah. had this 
and they had a New Order Blue Monday 12-inch. Because these are all popular albums. You know, Thriller sold a trillion copies. Blue Monday sold a trillion. So and did this. Hey Brother, Pour the Wine by Dean Martin was in their collection. Too. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, there, there's four things that they had that even, I guess, it even mildly piqued my interest. I, I'd actually, I was a pretty big Bowie and, you know, Stones fan already. And I didn't know about this. I was probably like eight or something or seven and picked it up and played it and went, what the hell? How come it sounds so slow? And mum or dad went, oh, no, you got it on the wrong thing. Because I, you know, I've yeah. been used to 45s playing faster, not a 12-inch. But then when I actually played it at the correct speed, it wasn't much better. <laughs> I guess I just, <laughs> yeah. Even back when I was young, that this type of song wasn't my thing. In the video, at one point, Mick just starts chugging a Pepsi in the middle of it, too. It's just 80s stamped and approved. Next. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, just in-your-face commercial, kind yeah. of. Just Ugh. a little, like, a little bit too much. Um not a fan of Dancing in the Street. A song that I am kind of a fan of is This Is Not America. Right, the, yeah. Yeah, 1985. Uh, it was done for a movie, The Falcon and the Snowman. And that's kind of where it... it It's very... The, the lyrics are kind of torn. Like It felt like he had to put in some lyrics that kind of tie it to the movie in it that maybe ruined the song as its own solo venture. Um this is with Pat Metheny, the jazz uh, guitarist. Nice little tune. Uh, Bowie does it at the BBC Live thing. The 2000 thing? Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he says, uh, oh, I've been dying to do this one. It's from the 80s, and then kind of laughs. And he says, <laughs> I actually like it, though. I'm, I'm dying to do it for you. So here he And it's, it's a fine song. He, he sings incredibly on it. Um, and when Bowie's voice is... A plus, it doesn't get much better. So at least it has that going for it. Solid song. I guess it, it kind of highlights too. He's this is a recurring thing. He's collabing with artists Queen, Jagger, Pat Metheny. Yeah. I've never really gotten into Pat Metheny. I know a couple people that actually really like him. I, I see his CDs at thrift stores, so maybe one day I'll actually pick one up. But I I've never really dove into them at all. But it, it just it is interesting. This it's very eighties for him to be doing these one off songs. Even uh Cat People is another example with yeah. Marauder and that. So it, it is yeah, I guess it's just interesting to see. Tina Turner, he's a lot more this is the duet period, right? Yeah. It's well duet with Iggy on Dancing with the Big Boys. This is all about the duets. He does well he doesn't there's no collab, I don't think, but he also did When the Wind Blows, uh for the 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 film of the same name uh he was going to do the whole soundtrack to that but he bowed out to focus on never let me down and roger waters took that project over but Mm. the the title track stuck stuck and it's it's another just like actually that one i don't like that much but it's a yeah another another sub bowie standard 80s song which is a different like it's not like oh this song is garbage but it's just well that's how i felt about all those uh songs that are like never let me down leftovers like girls and julie i want to say are the names of them i mean they they're kind of the same thing as everything on side two of never let me down just inoffensive album filler yeah non-memorable non-awful songs yeah um that's all i really have to say about those but uh yeah tina turner did girls and the, the the bowie version of that is pretty good too the i think it was released as a was it that one? One of those two, or maybe both of them were B-sides to some of the singles. Um, and he did Girls in Japanese, too. I've never heard that. I know he does... Um, I think it's Girls in Japanese. But I've never... I, I read that a while ago. Anyway. Yeah, those songs are just... 
like you said, yeah, inoffensive. It's not like, ugh. It, and, you know, even Too Dizzy, which was erased, or he tried to erase it from the, the from existence, it's not terrible. Well, I've been confused about that it's, because it's just, I don't think so either. I look at that as it's just the same as, like, Bang Bang or Girls or Julie or any of the other songs that are from that right. period that aren't amazing. It's like, this is the one where you were like, can't let anyone ever remember this one. Like, I just, I, I don't get it. It's yeah. like, it's not that much worse than that. It might even be better than a couple of them, depending on who you ask. I, right. It, it's kind of random to me yeah. that that's the one that he picked to be erased for, for forever. I think we've pretty much covered the non-album songs. There's so many. If, if we're missing some, uh, tweet at us and maybe we'll we'll answer. We'll, we'll talk about them. What else is there? I guess Live Aid. Uh, Live Aid, yeah, that's... Uh, it's kind of like under pressure for me. It's like it's this big moment, but I kind of don't really care to revisit that period of his too much. like Or that that style. Like I watched a lot of that because my daughter, when she was like two, would just love... It had to be those versions of those songs. So I've, I've, <laughs> I'm sick of Live Aid. <laughs> I'm not, but it's... I've seen that so much recently and it's a really good performance and I, I just, I, but I hope that that's not what, with like many, I think, I hope people don't think like, oh, Bowie was that Live Aid guy who did Heroes and Modern <laughs> Love. You know, that was, I, I watched the Queen movie, uh, the Freddie Mercury movie with Rami Malek. Playing. How was that? I imagine not too good. Well, the, I mean, it was okay. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not a huge biopic person, but I'm also don't like when it's just like, fuck the biopics because I know more about the band than everybody else. And no, oh, you know, it's like, I, I don't like that energy either where it's like, Oh yeah, I know what you, mean. you know? Um, but they made a big deal about live aid. I think it was live aid or might've been just a Wembley performance. And it was like, ah, don't diminish Freddie to like, he's doing live aid. Like everybody did live aid, you know? Yeah. They were all there. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just not my idea of a good music setting. Like I obviously don't have a, issue with them raising money for people that were oh, starving of yeah. course right but <laughs> yeah. I, i've just never cared to revisit the moment in time that is live aid like i do remember coming down on dvd when i was about like nine or ten and it was like this big deal but it, it i i didn't like the set design the, the big crowd the lighter in the air type songs like a lot of the musical sensibilities that have never appealed to me mm-hmm. can kind of be found in live aid those big, epic, melodramatic, but like, I'm just, yeah. it's just not really my thing. And I think maybe if I was alive in 1985 and it was there for the moment, like I would have appreciated the oh, performances yeah. a lot more, but I think that magic is lost what? now. And it just seems like, okay, that so, was, it was one contribution. It was one moment that big rock stars made for humanity's sake. I guess maybe I just think of what's happening in the present day and see no reason to be hung up on how great Live Aid was. Cause it really was just like a micro contribution from decades ago and not something worth Right. Going back to and just like, oh, Live Aid, Live Aid. It just doesn't really matter to me. In 2023, yeah. it doesn't matter mean, to me. What about Live 8? Remember that when we were kids? I do remember that. <laughs> I remember uh, watching that at Grandma and, Gr- Grandma and Grandpa's. What was that again? Live it was eight. like a new Live Aid, but there were eight locations. So Live 8. Kind of coincided with when Live 8 came out on DVD, right? Like around when maybe, I was nine, I want to say. yeah. Because that's another know. thing that I remember hearing about and I just have not cared to look at in 15 years i feel like it was maybe early 2000s i don't even i have no idea yeah it, <laughs> it's not we're, we're not live eight or eight experts by any means well like i said like it's just i'm not a big giant festival person 
No, like, oh I, god, I that's like, my. I can't stand that. Yeah, like same. I wouldn't. I would never go to Coachella. No, God, no. I just wouldn't. wouldn't I just wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. You know, and that, there's great bills with great acts. They get a lot of good people in that, but I just have no interest in being in seat one hundred ninety-eight thousand. Yeah, you know, from the stage. It just speaking not of, really my thing. Speaking of great bills, I just went on a road trip with a friend of the pod, our cousin Miles, to Fargo, which is like a three and a half hour drive or something from here. I saw it was a Red Hot Chili Peppers concert. Saw saw them play the strokes opened and king princess opened all the the openers were great uh but that's a pretty damn good bill this day and age like the strokes could sell out a big name yeah uh but i'm the chili peppers are my favorite band of all time and we were we got like general admission tickets and i was three people from the front Mm -hmm. and we could comfortably go to the bathroom and come back and it wasn't crazy you know where as where you go to a festival show and it's like Oh, I don't even like folk fest here, which is just too big. Like main stage, yeah. forget it. Yeah, I went to. I don't. It wasn't the main stage when I went, but I only went the one time because I don't go to folk fest because it's folk fest. People right. go because it's folk fest. Oh, and everybody. Are you like, going to folk fest? It's like no. I went to see Wise Blood. You yeah. But, I, I I went to Wise Blood. I didn't go to folk fest. Right. I went to Wise Blood, who's performing at folk fest. The people who go to folk fest like take their like they walk around like these people like make like six figure salaries, but they go to birds hill park and all of a sudden they don't wear shoes and it's like <laughs> I don't know. all the annoying things about hippies can be found at oh, folk, God, it, Winnipeg folk fest it, it, yeah uh anyway uh, <laughs> let's get and to they, those... yeah, they all they, they, they do they set up camp and they do mushrooms and all that and it's just like we're at altamont man or no they, no it's woodstock <laughs> yeah ex- exactly <laughs> let's, let's yeah, dress they, up and play woodstock yeah all right um let's talk about favorite albums from the era we put it out on twitter and i should have put what's everyone's second favorite album because scary monsters got 88 percent of the vote big shocker there <laughs> uh tonight got zero percent of the vote <laughs> and let's dance and never let me down split uh second place at six percent well that's interesting to me because i think i could probably now i haven't constructed it so don't expect it right now but i could probably make an argument that never let me down is a better album than uh than Let's Dance. I think so. Yeah, actually, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I actually think it does work more as an album than Let's Dance. Let's Dance is fr- they're both front-loaded records. Actually, they're they're actually pretty close. But I think Never Let Me Down has maybe some more meat on the bone uh, lyrically, a little bit more. They're both pretty decent albums, actually. But I I do think I just prefer. Never let me down, especially after when we did the episode. It was like, oh wow, there's these great little things like you, the great bass line on Glass Spider, sitar, and the '60s sensibilities of Zeros, and the you know the the cool retro singing on Never Let Me Down. I think like Let's Dance the album's a lot just Never Let Me Down the song. Like it's a lot more just this old time '50s thing, whereas yeah. Never Let Me Down's got maybe a little bit more going for it. So the comments, the the best one is just. Uh, scary moblins and super keys now for any legend of zelda fans out there that's there's things called keys and moblins so that's a great for if bowie zelda fan uh to bowie zelda fan i like your <laughs> I, I like your i'm gonna like your comment right now so yeah there we go it just says i mean dot 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 <laughs> like yeah I, that was a dumb question i suppose uh 
Okay, what else is there? I put I I, I thought I was going to do this big long thing of <laughs> series of questions. I didn't. I put another one up though. Serious Moonlight or Glass Spider? Serious Moonlight, seventy one percent to twenty nine percent. Oh, Prefer interesting. That. Yeah, I, I'm definitely in the glass spider camp. I, I think. think so too. I'm actually surprised that there's that big of a disparity. Yeah, so am I. Yeah, because I don't think that it's like an offensive answer to prefer Serious Moon. No, they're both great but, tours, but yeah, I just thought Gl- Glass Spider maybe had a little. Once again, kind of had a little bit more of a focus, and I guess it was a little ham-handed, as I explained earlier. But Serious Moonlight didn't have as much going on. It, it yeah. wasn't as elaborate. We'll have to ask Justin who was there what when he preferred. Yeah, because he was actually he was older for and closer, so I'd imagine. But but there's nothing like the first time you see the band. Mm-hmm. Like I've like I've seen the Chili Peppers multiple times now, but this is the third time. And the first time I've seen my hero, who's their guitarist, who's rejoined. And like there's something about when you first see somebody that you've admired your whole life walking onto stage like when we first saw paul mccartney it's or, like holy I shit you're gonna say dylan because we were or, right up close for that dylan was and good he, too he looked at us for a bit he looked at us because we were like well the only were, ones that knew watching the river flow <laughs> we were singing it in the front row and he was like he looked at us and started like he's like yeah like he smiled and knowing the type of person i was back then i would have made a point of being the guy that knew the words to watching the river flow <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> like, um you know what dylan said that uh, he went to a Buddy Holly concert on the tour that Buddy Holly died on. And was it in Duluth he saw him, maybe? Um, I'm not sure. Maybe it was in Hibbing. I don't know. Anyway, he said that he made eye contact with Buddy Holly in the front row. He was a teenager, and Buddy Holly would have been, what, 21, right? And he said that stuck with him forever. And he said during yeah. the Time Out of Mind uh, sessions that somehow Buddy Holly was, was there when they made that album. And that was his big rise from well, no the wonder dead. it's so good yeah, yeah. and I, I whenever i think of that concert we went to i think dylan maybe to this day he makes a point to make eye contact with people in the front row because that made such an impact oh, on yeah, him yeah. yeah uh we yeah we're way off track now <laughs> um, we, we have to turn into bob dylan now because he gave us the buddy holly moment yeah so I, i'm always uh it's, i'm kind of digressing here but i just always uh, i feel awful about Buddy Holly's career in the sense that he'd accomplished so much at 22. It's like, what the hell would 21, he, I think. What would he have done? Yeah. At, yeah. yeah. Like, at 28, like, what, what 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 did he have that didn't come out that the, he would have been able to come up with? Well, and his his last recordings, too, he was starting to add string arrangements and stuff. Yeah, like, it was just, he was and, just getting started. And he yeah. contributed so much. You think of those 50s artists where they had such an impact on the artists that we're in the 60s. It's Bob Dylan, the Beatles. They're fucking obsessed with Buddy Holly. And the Beatles kind of reinvented the way we think about popular music and their effects are still lasting today. The way you think about bands and metal. Like, Buddy Holly kind of started a lot of that. Oh, yeah. And he was just starting his career. Yep. And that, he would have, like, he would have had a rubber soul moment, you know? Probably. Like, his, like, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's, it's, that's it's way too bad. Because, like, Buddy Holly, like, the only things we have of him are, like, his Space Oddity and his David Bowie self-titled. The first yeah, that's album. it. Yeah, totally. And it's better than those. It, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. It is. It so, is. Yeah. What, like, what? The, we might have been sitting here doing a Buddy Holly podcast. Yeah. And not a David Bowie Oh, one. man, that's depressing. Now, I, it's funny. I have this, my daughter has this David Bowie book, Little People something. It's like a... It's a kid's book, and it's got it goes through the life of David Bowie in a very it's a board book, like it's very uh, elementary, but it shows him with his record collection, mm-hmm. and 
it's just like him listening to music as a kid. He liked music, blah, blah, blah. And they show a couple of records and there's no little Richard. And I'm like, ah, oh, they didn't do their homework. <laughs> uh, but it does. One of the ones is a Buddy Holly one. And I'm thinking, ah, oh, at least they got Buddy Holly in yeah. there. I, I don't know if I've ever heard Bowie talk about Buddy Holly or not. I, I have But actually. I would imagine he Little would Richard for sure. Yeah, oh, yeah. And yeah. James Brown. I mean, the guys that really put on a... Because Bowie is... Uh, theater performance guy those guys were like big captivating guys on stage that did dance moves and yeah would you know belt out lyrics in a, in a more of a performance as much as way. artists yeah yeah the the third and final poll we put up was uh favorite film to feature bowie and poor ball two percent that might have worked out to be like one we got 50 votes we just put this one up a couple days ago uh yeah, I think one person picked ball. So whoever picked ball, good on you. That might be my favorite. Uh, Labyrinth won, 54%. Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, 32%. And The Hunger, 12%. So Labyrinth, Merry Christmas, Hunger, Ball. That's interesting. I, I would have put them ball. Oh, really? Uh, number one. I, I, I mean... I think I just like the project so much that maybe that's influencing what I would pick as my favorite film to feature Bowie. But, and, and kind of going back to that time, like I had so much fun covering that and doing that episode. And it was a bit yeah. of a blind spot for me. So there's the element of like, holy crap, I'm really getting into this for the first time. Um, I mean, his performance is probably best in Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence in terms of his acting. That would be my favorite uh, for that purpose. But The Hunger, well, what, I, I, it's a horror film. What so. about when did The Elephant Man come out? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I kept it to film and we can only right, have four. Right, yeah. I just because when I think of his best acting, that was in the 80s, right? That was, yeah. That, that's his, because that's just, if you, well, how do you, he's he's taking on the body of somebody that he isn't, that he's yeah. not really capable, like, like he had to really, really act for that the voice and all that and there's the mystique and around the, that we and the don't... way he was walking and the fact that he was actually able to put that all together and it, it not be clumsy is just incredible i just wish we could see more of it it's yeah. like the hunger city of you know yeah exactly of the 80s yeah. if only we could see and it's too bad that it's just not documented like nowadays you'd be able to find bootlegs on youtube for people's phones mm-hmm. that would show everything but i mean that's why like you, have you seen every live Beatles performance ever recorded? Like probably, oh, yeah, right? yeah. There's like nineteen of them or <laughs> now something. imagine like Red Hot Chili Peppers. Have you seen like you? You can't well, even get close. Think yeah. of I mean <laughs> anybody. The Beatles are a, obviously a monumental group. Their last ever stage performance, or you know, from a tour anyway, the Candlestick Park performance, isn't on video. There's yeah. no like that's just crazy to me. That, yeah. You think of the Beatles' last performance ever. Surely it's on video. No, it's not. They don't even have the action. It's recorded in audio form, but like the last song, Long Tall Sally, isn't recorded. So they don't even right. have the full audio yeah. performance. Can you imagine that today? Like the, the, there'd If be... it was the last, yeah, it would be everywhere. Yeah. Um, all great projects, though. Labyrinth is great for multiple reasons. Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. That well, was... they're like... Uh, to me, I, I prefer Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, to the two, but like I can see why Labyrinth would win. Once again, the disparities kind of got me feeling the wrong way. I feel like it should be closer to 50-50 maybe. Because you said Labyrinth won by quite a bit, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, they both have great underlying themes. There's a lot of like redemption arcs. Actually, in both movies, there's a lot of redemption arcs in both of them. But they're just kind of totally different types of movies. Now, of course, 
I'm 27 years old. I'm the things that are in Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, are just going to appeal to me a little bit more than Labyrinth because Labyrinth isn't. I'm not really the target audience for Labyrinth, but when you think of them on their own as what they're both trying to accomplish, I think they both succeed to similar levels of success. I would say those are the two best things that he did, or yeah. the, the two best movies of that period. Even though Ball's great too, I do think that the other two are just a little bit more honed. They're a little bit more. A little bit more theatrical, I and, guess. Uh, and let's not forget about the hunger too. That right, yeah. That um, that it played with the vampire genre uh, in in a way where like the eighties are. It's an interesting time for horror and to make a gothic vampire. I mean, it wasn't totally gothic, but to make like a vampire movie essentially. Yeah, uh, is, you know, is is risky. I would say it was gothic. When I think of that movie, I think goth. It's shot yeah. very much that way. Yeah. Uh, it takes place in New York, so it's or, or does it? The ending uh, cutscene is is a, or is very weird. But I, I, you know, the with the Catherine Deneuve's uh, character, it's not as related to Bowie, but the the whole eternal suffering, keeping her ex lovers in a spoiler alert. Uh, living undead but kind of not in in like a shoebox essentially in the attic <laughs> uh there's just a lot of things that it plays with the like ideas of mortality and uh anyway we we did a whole episode Fashions on questions that keep me yeah. up tonight they <laughs> yeah. Explore, yeah um yeah that was that was a lot of fun covering that one we had my favorite podcast uh host uh, the host of my favorite podcast, that is Mike Munzer, on to join us for that, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, like I said, there's not it's not every day you get to podcast with your favorite podcaster. That was really mm-hmm. really cool. Um, yeah, some great projects that Bowie did in the '80s. Uh, it's not your typical '80s for the '60s and '70s star, is it? He's no. just a lot more to, a lot more to unpack. That's for sure. I'm glad we did a, a pretty in depth, uh, you know, venture into it. I, I don't think we missed anything. He could have been even busier if he did the whole Bond thing. <laughs> yeah. But, it's, you know, I've thought about that, too, and I think it's probably a good thing that he didn't. Um, yeah. Just because, like, Bowie, the musician, and the entity, it's very inseparable from all... It, it's unfair to him, but you can't really divorce him from his acting roles, right? Like, So there's David Bowie. And if he did a James Bond movie, I think if he even said this it would maybe cheapen his image a little bit, just especially because of how big James Bond is. It's almost like the Rolling Stones appearing in a Beatles movie as not the Rolling Stones. Right. It's like, well, like, what the fuck? It's like, David it, Bowie. It's just, yeah. it, it would be really hard to separate David Bowie from from mm-hmm. a James Bond villain. So I think that, you know, the best part about the uh, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, is that might have been his best job of not being David Bowie. Yeah, at the, at absolutely. The, with the timing of Let's Dance and Serious Moonlight Tour, like that all happened all at once. And it was, he was not David Bowie in that mm-hmm. movie, uh, which is really, really cool. Um, we should also mention, too, uh, very sad to hear the passing of Ryuichi Sakamoto, uh, his co star in that and uber talented composer. He did the soundtrack to it, which I had. I had that soundtrack in my head for months, like up until Christmas, basically, when we did that episode. So, uh, yeah, he, he passed away, I guess, like about a couple weeks ago from when we're shooting this episode. So really sad to hear that. Yeah, and, you know, he was somebody who I, he was a blind spot for me as a person musically, and I've kind of started to get into his music a little bit, and it's great. And there's actually a 
an album that he produced. I can't remember the name of the album or the artist, but it's kind of it's like this female J-pop album that he produced back in the day. That's really good. Cool. So he, you know, he's somebody who I'm gonna uh, dive into a little bit more. I, I want to too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was that was that sucked to hear. Uh, the a lot of the people that I follow online were all kind of in in mourning for him. He was very important to a lot of people. Um, so yeah. That, I, that I can from the little bit that I've seen as an actor and a uh, score writer, definitely I, I can see why. So, yeah, yeah and that's something I'm gonna have to look into too. Some more that maybe you'll have to send me that that album. Mm-hmm. All right, I think that just about does it for the David Bowie in the '80s season. Uh, coming up will be a bit of a blind spot, I think. For the two of us, if I can speak on your behalf as well, yeah, we we don't uh, you know we we jam regularly. We don't pull Tim Machine songs out. We probably pulled out one or two from every other David Bowie project that's or album. A, that's so, true. Yeah, you know, uh, just how much of a blind spot is it? Well, you'll have to tune in to find out. Uh, this has been fun. I've I've enjoyed this '80s season that took us a long time yeah. to do well yeah we had, there was a lot of christmas birth I death a, there was there's a lot that happened there's been yeah um, we've we've dealt with a lot personally uh not all horrible things like obviously the birth of your daughter is a great thing that yeah. was that takes up a lot of time as that's, any parents are listening i'm sure can attest to that's funny i've taken uh like more than half a year off it's, uh, it's going to be over seven months of uh extended parental leave that i'm taking just this is the time to be home i've got you know with my wife my two daughters it's it's been great but i thought like oh i'll have all this time to do the podcast and i don't <laughs> it's funny <laughs> like you know and yeah the, the parents out there you when you come back from uh I don't know where, whatever country you're listening from, but in Canada, we have really good maternity, paternity, and, and parental leave uh, laws or whatever. And you get a lot of time off. And when you get back, like, sometimes it's like, oh, like, oh, lucky you, you were off, you know, doing nothing. It's like, no, it's a lot of freaking I wish work. I was dead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's been it's been a busy time, but things are, things are definitely uh, calming down on the baby front, so... Yeah, we're, we're going to get to the Tin Machine. We're not going to take a, a hiatus between the two seasons. We'll be back with Tin Machine yeah. 1 shortly. It'll be a mini season. Are we even going to do a best of playlist for Tin Machine? I mean, how? probably not. Probably not. I mean, if we include stuff from the live album, maybe. I think the Linguini incident will coincide with this season, so we'll, we'll be able to extend it by a, one film. Anyway, that's that's to come. I haven't uh, really thought about that, yeah. Yeah. Because we were both saying Tin Machine wouldn't quite fit into this because it's, you know, how do you split Tin Machine up, Bowie 80s, and then put yeah. Tin Machine 2 in the next one, but then how do we properly wrap up Tin Machine? Maybe we just don't do it. I don't know. We probably won't. Yeah. Yeah. It'll Whatever. just be a bonus segment. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's it. Thanks for listening. This has been the Best of the 80s episode. I'm Jesse. And I'm John. Catch you next time.